This is Building on the Solid Rock with Pastor Troy Neely of Calvary Chapel, Solid Rock. Let every family find faith in the Father's love. This is where it begins. This is our cry, this is our song, Jesus the way. We find our life in Him. There's a focus in evangelism of selling the gospel. Got to sell it to them. I mean, it's got to be packaged well, said well. And so there's a focusing on the good news. It's the good news. And so we'll tell them about how Jesus can fix all their problems, change things. Jesus will change your kids. Get them into church. Jesus will fix that. Jesus will do that. He can give you peace, restore the joy in your life. But they're not prepared for the things that hit them in the face. See, they didn't hear about repentance. See, things don't change. You repent and you come to Christ. Turn from your sin. You acknowledge you're a sinner. Wouldn't it be great if following Jesus meant that we have no problems and that we're loved by everyone? How much easier would it be to tell people about Jesus? When today's message, Pastor Troy teaches us that Jesus told his disciples that the world would hate them for following him. How's that for a sales pitch? However, Jesus didn't say this to scare us, but to prepare us. If you've been mocked or shunned for following Jesus, be encouraged in knowing that Jesus calls you worthy of being his friend. Now, here's Pastor Troy in the book of John chapter 15. As he begins his message, this is no popularity contest. When we start to follow the Lord, we don't do things the way that people think we should necessarily, but we do things the way that the Lord would have us do them. And as a result, we're not necessarily going to become the most popular. See, to be popular, you take a poll. You consider, what is everybody like? What does everybody want? What are you looking for? And then you give them that. And then you can try to become popular. But that's not the goal for the Christian. See, this is no popularity contest. If being liked by... Everyone is one of your major decision-making principles, your guiding principle, like, well, if I do this, then they won't like me, or they'll leave me, or if that's your guiding principle is being liked, then you're going to have a hard time following the Lord. It's going to be very difficult, and Jesus makes it clear today, again, that following him is no popularity contest. Today, we're going to talk about what that means concerning our relationship with the world, be a friend of the Lord means we're not going to have a friend in the world. It can be like oil and water, or for some of you, Apple and Microsoft. For others, dogs and cats. In fact, I found something that's kind of cute here. Let me read it to you. This does not say anything about how I feel about cats. It says this. It's called How to Bathe a Cat. It says, please follow these step-by-step instructions on how to bathe your cat. Be careful not to deviate from any portion of these instructions, as doing so can result in serious injury. Number one, thoroughly clean the toilet. Number two, add the required amount of shampoo to the toilet water and have both lids lifted in advance. Number three, obtain the cat and soothe him while you carry him toward the bathroom. Number four, in one smooth motion, put the cat into the toilet, close both lids 
quickly. You may need to stand on the lid so that it cannot escape. Caution, do not get any part of your body too close to the edge. Number five, flush the toilet two or three times in quick succession. This provides a power wash and rinse, which I found to be quite effective. (laughs) Number six, have someone open the door and go and open the outside door and ensure that there are no people between the toilet and the outside door. Stand behind the toilet as far as you can and quickly lift both lids. Number eight, now the clean cat will rocket out of the toilet, run outside, and dry himself. And here's the best part here. Signed, the family dog. Yeah, those two don't get along all the time. We have a cat and a dog, and even them, though they have this love for one another, every now and then the cat will act like he's stretching and just kind of... So, they're opposites. One of the flaws in today's evangelism is not acknowledging that to those who are being preached to. Here's what I mean. There's a focus in evangelism of selling the gospel. Got to sell it to them. I mean, it's got to be packaged well, said well. And so there's a focusing on the good news. It's the good news. And so we'll tell them about how Jesus can fix all their problems, change things. Jesus will change your kids, get them into church. Jesus will fix that. Jesus will do that. He can give you peace, restore the joy in your life. But they're not prepared for the things that hit them in the face. See, they didn't hear about repentance. See, things don't change. You repent and you come to Christ. Turn from your sin. You acknowledge you're a sinner. And then beyond that, if you're going to follow him, your kids, your spouse, others around you, they may not applaud the effort. They may resist it. In fact, Your following Christ can stir things up where there was comfort and cause actually dissension or separation between friends and even family. They don't hear that, but it's true. And the good thing about Jesus is he doesn't hold any of that back. He's speaking to his disciples. It's very important. We saw that he told his disciples, I call you friends because a master does not tell his servant what he's doing, but I have shared with you what's going on, what you can expect. And today he gives more insight to them that is very, very helpful. He says, and you are my friends and you know that I have a lot of enemies. They hate me. And guess what? As my friend, they're going to hate you. Now, these are words the disciples probably wish they didn't have to hear, that he wouldn't have said that weren't true. And I'm sure it's a message that many Christians would rather not hear. But it's about truth. We want to learn the scriptures. We want to be prepared. So we're going to talk about a few things we need to know as Jesus' friends. We read in verse 18, Jesus speaking. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word... They will keep yours, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have had no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, that is the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures that they have. They hated me without a cause. The first thing 
that you and I need to know as Jesus' friends. We need to go ahead and grasp this. The world hates you. Just get that out of the way. The world hates you. This is not a popularity contest. It's not about becoming more relevant or popular. They're not going to like you. Now, let me explain here. When Jesus speaks about the world here, he's not saying that every single unbeliever is going to hate you. That's not true. That doesn't happen. Every single unbeliever, the world, the whole world. No, he's talking about the world as a system. Let me explain. We often use the term world to speak of some system, economic system that involves people, right? In this system, in this world of economic system, there are priorities, investments, activities, people that revolve around these things. Let me give you an example of that. I don't know if it's still around or not, but there was a show called The Wide World of Sports. We know what that means. What they would do is they would take a life or a few lives and they would talk about everything involved in that person's life. And it revolved around what? Sports. They were athletes. They were pursuing something. So it was a program that was all about the people and the ones who pursued greatness. The people in their lives, their victories, their defeats, their life, the the food that they ate, everything involved in this story, in their world, in their little system. If you were to tell one of those athletes who lived in that world, who pursued those things, if you were to tell that person, hey, what you're spending all your time doing, what you're investing so much in, it has no meaning. It has no meaning eternally. They would get upset at you. They may even despise you. You've just devalued what they put everything into. That's their world. So this world has a system of priorities and things that they value and things that are important to the world. They have what you might call an aim, something they're aiming at. They have an aim and hitting milestones along the way toward that which they're aiming at is what makes them happy. In fact, that's what the world is really looking for is that happiness that they're getting. They find an aim in life that they feel good about. Now, where this aim comes from, it could come from their family. Their family could instill in them certain things. Or they watched a few people and they go, I want that. I want to attain that. Or they see things in their family and go, I don't want this. I want the opposite of it. And they aim. Whatever it is, we've all, because of the things in the world, established a sense of worldly aim. A worldly aim. A worldliness about us. We aim at things that are only relevant in the world but not to the things that are godly, heavenly, eternal. That's worldliness. Doesn't mean it's bad, necessarily. It's just worldly, not eternal. Has no eternal value at all. Me pursuing lots of money to take care of all my kids is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a worldly thing. God says, I'm your provider. If I want to give you a job, I'll give you the job that provides in that way. But if you pursue it apart from me, that's worldly. That's the world's thinking. And so we have worldly people. We're born, we're born in the world, and that's all we know. We're worldly. Everyone has a different aim. So if you say, I want to support a certain level of lifestyle, well, then what makes you happy is having a job, an income that supports that lifestyle. I've got to go to this school so I can get this job so I can support the lifestyle. That's my aim. It's a worldly aim. But when I hit the milestones, I'm happy. 
That's what makes me happy. Or, you know what? I never want to be alone. I saw what it was like for my mom. I saw, I never want to be alone. I never want to be without someone. And my aim is a relationship. And so even if it's not all that healthy a relationship, I don't want to be alone. And my aim is, my happiness is found in at least I have a relationship. And I never want to be without a relationship. That's my aim. It's worldly. Or I want to be seen as this kind of employee or employer. And so the accolades, the thanks, the being kind, I gave you this and they love me, that's going to motivate and drive you. That's your aim. And that makes you happy. Or maybe I want to serve some cause that's bigger than myself. Just for me, I want to serve something bigger and greater. And so many will join an identifiable group or cause, take certain stands because this makes them feel like they have a purpose and makes them happy. Pastor Troy will return soon with the second half of today's edition of Building on the Solid Rock. If you're enjoying the teachings of Pastor Troy Neely and would like more information about this program, we invite you to visit our website at buildingonthesolidrock.com. There, you'll find an archive of previous messages from the verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the books of the Bible. We'd also encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, as you'll be able to gain access to the latest teachings as soon as they're posted. That website, again, is buildingonthesolidrock.com. We're blessed to be a part of your life through the teachings of this program, and we pray you're blessed as you continue to tune in. Now, back to Pastor Troy with more of today's message. So everyone grows up in this world and finds something or several things to aim at, all based upon the values of the world, the culture that they've been exposed to, things they've seen or not seen. Some aim high, some aim very low. In fact, they work really hard to try not to work. But whatever the aim, if there is anything that would try to pull them from what they're aiming at, it frustrates them, can even anger them. This is my aim. How dare you? Don't pull me away. My aim today, I want to watch this football game. And then there are disruptions and phone calls. How dare you? This is my aim for right now. We aim. We aim at something in life. We aim at things in life. They're worldly until we get our sights readjusted to the right things, which can be very, very hard for us because we're not the ones who get to do the adjusting. It's the Lord who decides. The religious leaders during Jesus' time were excelling in the law and putting others down because they didn't have the knowledge that they had and the tassels that they had and they just lifted themselves up because of the law, checked off certain boxes and it made them feel good and higher, more highly exalted than others. So they had, if you will, an aim, something to aim at. The law. As they checked things off, they felt better. They were happy, but they were hard to live with. And so Jesus comes along. Jesus comes along and he reveals to the whole world and especially to the religious leaders, you're aiming at the wrong thing. You have the wrong aim. They needed to set their sights, not just the religious leaders, the whole world, everyone who's aiming at the wrong thing. They needed to set their sights to what was true if they wanted to find what was true and fulfilling in life. They needed to set their sights on Christ if they were going to find that which fulfilled in life. See, in all their aiming at the law, the religious leaders missed the Christ. 
Oh, and they did it well. They did it beyond well. They were annoying they did it so well. But see, Jesus said, that's not what you should have been aiming at. The law could never make a person righteous. Nothing you did, all of it you did, could never make a person righteous. And so Jesus comes along, tells them they're aiming at the wrong things, the whole world, and he made a lot of enemies because of it. He wasn't being mean. He was just being truthful. Jesus told Pilate in John 18, 37, for this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. The truth is this, that our lives were created to worship and bring glory to God. That doesn't sound all that ambitious. It doesn't sound all that good to some who are about bringing glory to themselves. Riches to themselves, attention to themselves, appeasement to themselves. Where am I in the equation? Well, you're satisfied when you surrender yourself and worship and live your life to glorify the Lord. Speaking about abstaining from physical lusts, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Everything you have, even the most personal areas of your life, they are to be brought before the Lord and to honor and glorify Him. It's there that we find our fulfillment, not in the many things we aim at or pursue. Did you know that there's no room for Christ in a world that is insistent upon its own direction? Because, see, his desire is to lead us. But we are insistent upon our own aim, our own direction, our own goals. We cannot follow him. Every worldly government and every worldly culture, as it rises up and stands in opposition to God's values, begins to make decisions about God's people that they're in the way. And there have been times throughout history where governments have turned a blind eye and allowed the persecution of God's people. We read about it. Fox's Book of Martyrs gives you a whole list of what happened. The apostles and beyond then. Men, women would go and the church wants to hold on to the scriptures so they tell the people what it means to control the people. But they say, we need it in our own language. We need to be able to read it and know God for ourselves because some of what you're saying isn't true. And so they gave their lives, were killed because of their desire to force the church to let go and let the Bible be interpreted in the languages the people could actually read and know God for themselves. People died. The apostles, you know, we don't read about it. But let me tell you um, what happened, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, to some of the apostles. Matthew was slain with a sword or spear in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged to his death through the streets of Alexandria. Luke was hung on an olive tree in Greece. John was placed in boiling oil. He didn't die, so he was banished to the island of Patmos, where he would write the Revelation. Peter was crucified in Rome. Philip was scourged, imprisoned, and then crucified in Phrygia. The older James was beheaded in Jerusalem. 
The younger James was thrown from the temple, then beaten to death with clubs. Bartholomew was beaten with rods, scourged, and then beheaded. Andrew was bound to a cross where he preached to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was thrust through with a spear in East India, and Jude was shot to death with arrows. The Bible does not take us that far into their lives, does it? Those were the friends of Jesus. Many of those were the ones Jesus was telling them, you're my friend. Oh, and they're going to hate you. You know, there's a movement today in the church to not be an enemy of the world, but a friend, to be popular. Some have called it the hipster church movement, the hipster pastor movement, the hipster movement. It's actually a move to be popular in the world, to look like them, to say, we can do what they do. We can be cool, man, because we want people to feel like they want to come. That's their operation, expecting that that will draw crowds. And guess what? It does. It draws big crowds, even big names. I mean, we got to be likable. We got to be cool. We got to be accommodating. We got to be relevant. So the titles of messages are really cool and give you some shock value and Maybe even pass out pop rocks to celebrate the 80s. I say this in jest, but it actually happened. So they said, next week we're going to have pop rocks and the title's going to be the theme of the 80s movies. We have a book that we want to make sure that all those who are leaders in our church read one of many books. It's called Spiritual Leadership. It's one of the required reading, again, for those who would be leaders here at this church. And as the author, Oswald Sanders, is addressing Paul's words to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 says this. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now that was a leader, a leader in the church. Man desires that, he desires a good work. But understanding that what that looks like today is like, yeah, I want to be a pastor. I want to be in front of people. I want people to like me. I want to be popular. I want That's kind of what it's become today, really. And so With that in mind, Oswald Sanders wrote this. We may understand his statement, that statement of Paul's to say it desires a good work. We may understand his statement in terms of the prestige and respect given to Christian leaders today, but such was far from Paul's mind. In his day, a bishop faced great danger and worrisome responsibility. Rewards for the work of leading the church were hardship, contempt, rejection, and even death. The leader was the first to draw fire in persecution, first in line to suffer. That's why when you desired those positions, you desired a good thing. It was good because that meant God was stirring in you and you said, my life is not my own. I'm bought with a Christ. But that's not the same today. People desire it all the time for luxury and for you name it. There's a different aim in many churches. So why is it that the friends of Jesus aren't going to be so popular with the world? I mean, they may not kill you, that's good, but they might ignore you. They might talk about you. They may shun you in your work circles, even in your family circles. Why? I'll give you a couple of whys. I think it's only fair if you're going to be hated. One, the world hates you because they hate God. That's the bottom line. Verse 18, Jesus said, if it hated me before it hated you. 
Verse 23, he who hates me hates my father also. Why? Because they're one. Verse 24, they have now seen and have hated both me and my father. In other words, the religious leaders who said, we're following the law. We love God. That's why we devote ourselves to the law. He's saying, well, they saw me and they hated me, which means they hate the father. So they love the law. They love the checklists, but they don't love God because they rejected the one and only son of God. You see... Any hatred the world would have toward you as you seek to commit yourself to the Lord. And for that reason, not just because you're some offensive person that's always acting like, you know, they're no good and you're good. That's not good. But if you're following the Lord, just seeking to follow the Lord and he's changing you and causing separation and the world's starting to hate you, that's really not a personal thing. It's a spiritual thing. Thanks for joining us today on Building on the Solid Rock. We hope you've learned some new things today as Pastor Troy taught through the Gospel of John. If you'd like to hear today's message again, please visit our website at buildingonthesolidrock.com. We also have an archive of previous messages available to you free of charge, ready to be listened to online or even downloaded and shared with friends and family. We're so blessed to be a part of your life in this way, and we'd love to hear how you've been impacted by Building on the Solid Rock. Feel free to send us an email at info at buildingonthesolidrock.com. We love being able to connect with our listeners in this way, and your feedback helps us continue to build this ministry. Next time, Pastor Troy will share more from the book of John and express additional examples of how Jesus proved he was unlike any other man that ever lived. Join us then, right here on Building on the Solid Rock. Let the light of Christ shine as we grow in.